Oh my gosh, I am not uh, suffering whatever the heck I had last week, but welcome back to the Pond Theater. And now we're having a round two with Dal's Video Fest, and I just explained the reason why we're doing it, because I was too sick to kind of go on and talk about multiple uh, Dal's Video Fest movies. So last time we talked about It's a Wonderful Blight, or Plight, and then Justin saw for or Mad Men only, and all these were independent documentaries, all from Dal's Video Fest, known as DocuFest. It's a bunch of different type of stories going on, different types of filmmaking, all under the theme of documentaries. And I thought, you know, I'd l- let's just have one more shot at it, at this uh, this weekend, and then you know, the following weekends, there's so many other movies coming out. I didn't originally say that. Actually, I'm committing to it next week being about On the Rocks. And uh, that one uh, Netflix film about the Black Panthers. Shoot, I forgot the name of it. It will come back to me. Yeah, the Chicago 7. The Chicago Chicago Oh, I didn't know that was about the Black Panthers. Yeah, I didn't even know what it was about, actually. Uh, well, I think it was like it's a it's a story like it's a historical drama going about uh, protesting. Again, I I don't know the full plot. I just know it had something to do with the Black Panthers, or at least in that time, because it's very reflective of now. I mean, that's the re- they made this movie before him. I mean, they, they were unaware of all this stuff going on with Black Lives Matter, but it is a movie very much an advocate for that. So we'll be talking about it. Both those movies are supposed to be Oscar 2021 contendies uh, that Netflix and Apple TV Plus are putting out. So we talk about is, those. Is On the Rocks coming out streaming? Yeah, On the Rocks is going to be on Apple TV Plus next week. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Both of those being on Friday, but we'll talk about those and then uh, I'll talk about Cats and Dogs 3 because I, I, I'm going to see that. Uh, oh. <laughs> and then next, the week after, I'm going to change it because I I, I did, uh, there was there's two Disney Plus original movies releasing this month as well. Uh, and then the glenn king animated film over the moon i heard glenn king he's the son of a very uh known animator i forgot what he worked on but it, it, they made a big deal out of this film that's coming out in a couple of weeks uh it looks kind of nice so i'll be talking about that movie but i'm going to replace over the snowman i'm going to push that back for the third or fourth week uh whatever the week comes next after that and replace it with borat 2 because i completely forgot that borat 2 comes out on the 23rd i will watch that and uh witches on the last week of october because i don't think witches will gain as much attraction as borat 2 because borat 2 is like borat's like a cult pop culture character so i mean i, I think that might get more views well, I think witches is as well. Actually, it's, it's very cool. But Borat, Borat's been such like Borat has been such a like an iconic character because he basically the whole thing about him is he was de- he pointed out the stupid in America. So in this sequel, they're they're definitely riding on 
2020. Uh, and that's why they quickly worked on it and released it. And I think even in this sequel, they, they talk about the pandemic and everything. So oh, really? yeah, I, I, I think Borat too. And I'm going to, I could be wrong. Maybe, uh, witches will get more views but i have a feeling borat 2 is going to be the bigger talk uh when that comes out so we'll, we'll see we'll see both of those movies though but we'll just see the other one the week after along with uh once upon a snowman anyway yeah that then and then the first week of november we won't have a show because of the 24-hour marathon uh that will be all my energy uh towards the end of the week anyway oh, hold on cody what's up man Oh, not much, you know, just uh, being busy. What about you? Uh, I actually made it back to uh, New York again. I'm um, back here right now doing another short. Oh, that's great. Turnaround from the last one, yeah. So I I was here yesterday, and I've been working all morning on it. So I thank (laughs) you guys for pushing it back a half hour. But, um, yeah, how's school and work going? All right. Back to Yeah, okay. Thanks for asking. Yeah, of course. Anyway, so no, no, no. It, uh, it it's a uh, uh, great. Uh, you are work going great. That's a really awesome. Yeah. So today we'll be talking about the the other document or docufest films I saw are Carnival of Ghosts. I think that's the same movie Cody saw because Cody was saying he wanted to see this one, and I saw it too. Yep, that's the one I watched. Yeah, and then I saw uh, for Mad Men only because uh, Justin said it was awesome, and even uh, Lisa, she came out and said, yeah, I love that film uh, for Mad Men only, so I'll just have a quick review on it since you already talked about it. Then I watched yeah the first film and We Love Lucy. Okay, maybe you want to talk about those too. Yeah, uh, and then... So this film was controversial. It got banned for uh, a few years and finally just spontaneously released. And that is Red Shoes and the Seven Dwarves. Red, Red Shoes and Seven Dwarves. Yeah. And we'll talk. We'll actually talk about what the controversy was that got this movie banned and whether or not the movie is worth it now that it's out on Amazon Prime. Uh, and then I'm going to have a bonus. I saw Hubie Halloween, the latest uh, uh, Happy Madison film that uh, brings back Adam Sandler in the starring role. So I will give my thoughts on that since I saw that as well. And Sandler back together again. Adam Sandler and Kevin James. Boy, those two. Like Kevin James was even doing dramas too, and then as soon as he saw Adam Sandler go back into Happy Mass, and he's like, oh, "Okay, I gotta get on that train too." And uh, I do have thoughts, so that will be what we'll talk about. I watched that as well. Uh, yeah, I, I figured. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, let's just go ahead and talk about the other DocuFest films. Last week, we talked about DocuFest and only just one film, mostly, which was a, it was a great film. That It's a wonderful plate. That was a uh, wonderful, even though I guess it's somewhat of a documentary, somewhat of a comedy. I'm talking about uh, Black history through musical numbers and uh, ended it in a very uh, 
I didn't like well, not out of nowhere, but just a, a twist that I, I just like holy crud. Uh, yeah. it it was a really well put together film. And that was unfortunately all I saw. But I'm gonna start out with the film the first there the next DocuVest film I saw, which is one that Cody saw as well. Now its sub name is actually called Carnival of Ghosts, but do you know what the first name of it is? Because I actually have that up here. Uh, it is Texas Trip, a Carnival of Ghosts. This is a little festival, I guess, that happens here in Texas somewhere. And it's about uh, all of these uh, guys putting together a horror, a goth horror music uh, concert. Uh, putting on costumes and uh, adding in some advertisement, uh, filming in like some horror scenes. You got a girl tied up and uh, guys with ghoulish masks uh, or cardboard uh, masks. The thing that it actually starts out with, and we're going to come back to this guy because, yeah, he. It, he is the most memorable thing about this movie, whether for a good reason or not. And you just, the film starts off after you see like this montage of old school horror, you see this guy cutting into his face. I, I'm not kidding. Like that was the first thing I saw when you get to meeting the people that you're following is this is dude going at scissors and just, plucking into his skin and picking off. And I, I just looked at that. I'm like, holy crud. And as it went on, he uh, explained things going on, how he uh, brings these bands together and what they view themselves in society. Uh, so it's not just about the love of Halloween and horror. It's about actual things they're feeling, uh, which can contribute to some things a little disturbing. Uh, and yeah, whenever it turns to that, I'm like, holy crud. I know there are people I that I know love horror, but even them, they would kind of turn their backs from this because... This is not a horror party to just uh, casually have fun and enjoy everything around just because of the levels that they take here. Uh, Cody, what do you think? Um, well, I had no idea what this movie was about. I was just like, oh, okay, maybe something spooky related. And I'm like, it's, it's spooky season. I'll give this one a watch. Yeah, at first I'm like, okay, is this like a movie about celebrating the drive-ins? Because, you know, they have all these montages of B-level horror films. Well, there's not of the living dead in there too, but, and you see even shots like one of the drive-ins, the shutdown drive-ins they show is the one that's like right here in my town of Nacogdoches on your way to Lufkin on the highway. So that was kind of cool. And you even get a local author who's famous, 
who they use some of his quotes, uh, Joe R. Lansdale throughout the documentary. And they even have a quote from him at the beginning of the film. But yeah, this was deeply disturbing and I'm not even a hundred percent sure like what the through line of this documentary was other than about these um, obscure artists that go to this place in Texas. Cause like the guy you're talking about, he like records sounds and has a band, but he also like tortures himself on stage. Yes. I I'll and I'll get to that, but the 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 I'll, I'm gonna say this. I've seen so many horror movies and movies about trying to make you jump. What is the last few minutes of this film is scarier than any horror film could throw at you? Really? Yes. I cannot stop thinking about this scene in the movie, and I'll be honest. Ooh. I don't even think this documentary is that great. No, it isn't. No, because. I'm not sure what yeah. the through line is. It's just a misshape of scenes of these bizarre people just living their lives, which, I mean, they get to do their art and live their life, more power to them, but it's just deeply, this. It, this disturbed me, and I was uneasy the whole time watching this, like, what is this about? What's going on? Well, I, I think the whole thing with this is that... Uh, it's also showing a festival over there and like some of the things they do, how they celebrate the theme of horror uh, with Halloween going on. And you, I mean, in these types of documentaries are more just about an overview uh, or behind, excuse me, behind the scenes and some of these horror festivals people go to. I think it's cool to see some of that. Now you don't really get enough character you don't get to know the people behind uh these creations that they do it's more just about them putting these things together and seeing some of it in action uh i mean it's all about the visuals more than it is about the storytelling because when it comes to the storytelling it's just it's kind of taking a back seat uh and there are people who don't mind that because there are people who are like, man, I just want to see horror. I just want to see freaky stuff. And you'll get that. And there's one particular guy who will definitely be, if, if that's what you crave for, then okay. But I'm just here to warn you that what I saw was freaking disturbing. And yeah, it, it took way over anything Pennywise could do or any of those other scary monster characters because you see a real person ripping their face apart now i don't want to go into details of how but they linger on something at the very end of this film that it will make you uncomfortable i held my neck and there was nothing going on with my neck but it was because of what he was doing with his neck and it is it is nightmarish and I can't even praise that as a good thing because, no, I, I don't, like, welcome it. I think this guy needs help, seriously. And I hope he lives through that because at the end, you also see just blood dripping from his face. So I don't even know what his condition is after whatever he, his, he was trying to accomplish doing what he did to his face and, you know, sticking so many sharp things through it. Yeah, I mean... I would say for the kind of the atmosphere of 
horror, and I'm talking about the things not revolving around what the this re- actual person did to himself. I think it's decent because again, there are those people who are like, you know, I'm just curious to know what are how did these people make these uh, spooky fests that I attend to every year. I think there's something uh, cool about that. Something people can learn from. But yeah, by the end of it, you will be scarred. I'm still looking at those images. It's, it is terrifying. Like it is scarier than Midsummer. I'll just say that. I think the difference is because those are all movies. This is a real person in real life. And you, you, there's no, nothing taken away from that. Yeah. This is an actual person doing this to their body. It's not special effects. It's not props. This isn't a, fictional written story this is this is an individual who does this to himself for other people's entertainment or for his personal entertainment i'm not sure but it was very yeah like you said it's disturbing and it is a well-made documentary and i probably would have enjoyed more if they focused on the other guy and i'm kind of wondering if the guy we're talking about was also the director because there is a scene of him interviewing this this other individual who made all the different masks and plays these different characters on stage with his band but i would have probably even though his stuff was a little disturbing too i probably would have been more comfortable watching more about his journey than watching some of these images that we're talking about yeah i mean i would like to get to know the people who bring the festival together and also this whole thing about why these people are just so into this guy uh, pretty much killing himself. Because, I mean, I, when you look at the, 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 the last shot that you see of what this guy does to his face, you have a feeling he's just not going to live long. Because, I mean, I, I, I don't, if I even get even graphically in-depth into it uh he puts things through places that would probably end your life so yeah it was uh definitely hard to sit through regarding that and yeah it is kind of slow because it is focusing a lot on the imagery uh or just going through one spot to the next and i didn't really get much out of these people it sucks i would like to see another one of these a festival where people aren't, you know, freaking crazy over, uh, over horror. And they're just, well, I mean, crazy and as to what we just described, but people who are just into regular spooks and want, or, or our town just filled with Halloween decorations and everything. I think something like that would be cool. There to- is a documentary. Yeah. I forget the name of it. It was made of quite a few years ago but there is a documentary about these people who like just deck out their houses every year for halloween and that was an interesting watch yeah so anything more like that but yeah this is out of all the documentaries i saw at docufest this is probably the uh worst but it isn't like a terrible documentary it's just i mean it's a lot to swallow uh for what is not even much anyway uh do you have a rating um i'm gonna give it a high decent just because of it's a technical skill it was well made it's just not 
an easy watch and something that I would recommend anyone watching. It's not an enjoyable watch at all. It's deeply disturbing, but it was well made. So I'll give it a high decent. Okay. Uh, well, I'll uh, just quickly go and talk about, or just say my thoughts on of Mad Men or, or uh, Mad Men only that uh, Justin talked about before, which is interesting because it's about the guy who invented or at least gave birth or, or made some type of revelation with the whole idea of improv, improv comedy, and influenced three generations of comedians. And you see so many recognizable people coming in, giving their thoughts and everything. And this documentary is pretty interesting because you do see everything going on in this guy's life the good and also the bad uh, i mean it, it, it's a documentary that will tell you success does not come without a cost and this dude eventually started losing his mind over things and uh got into some uh he had uh uh violence and there's some other stuff going on with his life but then later on he would uh, try to find some uh, cleansing to uh, all of the issues that he's got and turn over a new leaf. And it's an interesting thing to see a guy go from the uh, brainchild of improv comedy to being a mess and then coming back around towards the end of his life uh, to being back the person that people love and adore and there's something sweet about that because this dude really liked he really liked teaching people comedy he really liked you know influencing others and just uh talking to other comedians and sharing jokes he would eventually uh gain relationships with bill murray and uh, harold ramus because uh, they they became friends with them the the point where they helped throw basically a uh, end of his life party, which is where he was uh, told by the doctors that he only has a couple days to live. So they he uh, Bill Murray put on a party together just to celebrate this guy. It's it's a mix of things that happen. But I also say it's a mix of things you've seen in a documentary before. When you think about a successful person who's invented something, you're going to think about the the times they grew up when they were a little kid and all the abuse and stuff that happened uh, with their family. In this case, uh, his dad's suicide and uh, whatever happened regarding that. But also, uh, you know, he'll become this hugely successful guy that everybody loves until he screws up in life and it goes downhill for him and then later in his life he uh, tries to get forgiveness and things get better it goes through the traditions of these type of documentaries based on a guy who successfully created something so it's doing absolutely nothing new but I still find it an entertaining film for the stuff that he's been able to or the people that he's influenced and seeing how comedy has been reflecting over the years 
over one man and that one man uh, of uh for mad men only den Cl- del close sorry yeah del close. Is a del close. <clears throat> yeah del close which there are scenes throughout the documentary where they do reenactments too like they have actors play certain people in, in del close's life they even have someone playing del close it there are some interesting things they do regarding this documentary there's a bit of reenactment there's a bit of stop motion uh artsy animation going through uh different things and then of course traditional interviews it's just that it kind of goes exactly how you think to where you're like okay i can predict what's going to happen to this guy's life before i even see this movie when i see it i'm like yeah it's things that celebrities have gone through people who have been pioneers of of, uh, certain things and regarding improv, improv is the a type of comedy I normally enjoy when done really well. I mean, that's the same with comedy. Comedy is subjective, and that depends on how you go through with it. Because I've talked about uh, comedies that don't have scripts, so they use improv to try to crack jokes, and I'm, I'm not a fan of that. But like, it shows examples of great improv throughout the years through film and television. And it, it could... It's definitely an example of like how to do great improv that will kind of bring in a a mass love. And there's just some interesting things going on here, even if it's predictable as heck. I give it a regular gun. Anyway. Yeah, it's it's mostly about what he was teaching. Um, Yeah, yeah. Like I said last week about him teaching the Herald and how that's going to work as a way to teach comedy. Yeah, because um, I totally agree. It's harder to do improv, even I think over like stand up, um, and and be funny at it because you know improv is off the top of your head, and I mean you have to be really witty, really quick, and uh, it's definitely a lot harder to make people laugh than than regular stand up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I think um, comedians often are really good dramatic actors because not very many dramatic actors can also be comedic but these guys and gals that can come up with stuff on the fly and be funny usually are very gifted at being good actors too besides just being funny well it's also the whole thing about comedy is equals tragedy as well and mm-hmm. that that explores a lot with this guy's past and with his dad. He, yeah, yeah, that's an interesting thing because if you look into a lot of comedians' lives, a lot of them are not like these happy-go-lucky people in real life. Yeah, like yeah. it's like they channel all that energy for their performances. Yeah, I mean, this guy is saying he he really is he lives up to that standard as well. Yeah, I mean, influencing three generations of comedians, that's an impressive feat. Like, even after uh, death, it's very impressive. But, yeah, that's what I had to say about the film. Uh, Justin, do you want to go ahead and talk about the two DocuFest films you saw? Yeah, well, let's talk about something that lives on even after death. And uh, let's talk about We Love Lucy uh, documentary. Um, You know, I Love Lucy definitely is still living on uh in our lives even to this day through um uh you know uh what is it called when you when you're on tv still even though you're not on what is it sitcom 
Yeah, yeah, but you know, it, when it when you when a sitcom still plays after it's over and it's run. Oh, reruns, like, reruns, reruns. Yeah, reruns, so, syndication. Yeah, syndication. That's what it is. It's in syndication. Yeah. So I love Lucy. Still out there. We have Lucille Ball. Uh, you know, the star of Luz, uh, I Love Lucy. Um, and this is a story about uh, her and Desi Arnaz, uh, her husband. Um, they met doing uh you know under a contract at a studio and fell in love and then they started i love lucy she is a pioneer though because she is the first ever female star of a network uh tv show um and even though desi arnaz is a part of it she still is shining and still the lead uh and they they did this show together um you know, he is a ladies' man and had an alcohol problem. But, uh, you know, even through that, you know, back then, I guess you just live through the marriages, even when they kind of aren't as great as you want them to be. Uh, and so she stuck it out, even though she knew he was a player. Uh, and then, you know, this show came around. So she thought this was really going to help their marriage. Um and, uh, you know, he's more of the writer, producer, and she's more of the star and the act. Um, and back then, you didn't really think that uh, a mixed relationship like that was going to work back in the 50s and 60s, uh, where she, you know, was married to somebody who was Puerto Rican, you know, Cuban. So it was really tough for them back then. But because of how great I Love Lucy was and how much everybody in America just grew on to her, and Desi Arnaz, uh, they were able to become pretty famous. And, you know, she was uh, one of the highest paid actresses, uh, especially for network uh, television. And, you know, their show was number one for years. Um, this documentary, you know, talks a lot uh, about, mostly about the relationship between her and Desi Arnaz and the I Love Lucy show. Uh, you know, it does talk about, um, you know, their kids a little bit and, the other spinoff shows that I Love Lucy created after that, uh, because eventually her and Desi Arnaz did have to, you know, split up and, and divorce. Uh, but they were partners still and loved each other very much. Um, this documentary is fantastic. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I, I was a kid watching I Love Lucy, you know, and it's really good to get to see her and feel her uh, presence again. And uh, I mean, yeah, this one, this movie, it'll make you laugh and cry, you know, all for the right reasons. Um, and what you definitely learn from this is how much love that uh, Lucy and uh, Desi had for each other, um, even till the day that each of them died. So uh, I really thought that that was touching, even, you know, through all the ups and downs that they actually did have with each other. But We Love Lucy is a really good documentary. That's cool. Did it talk about how the show was one of the first shows to stop uh, filming the show twice? Because I heard like back in the early days of TV when they started filming for Los Angeles audiences, they would film again for the New York audiences or vice versa. Uh, and oh, they, so it would stay live? Yeah. They were like well, the first one that quit filming twice. They would just film it once and then broadcast it. Yeah, I mean, this was one of the first shows ever to have a live audience, actually. She fed so much off of being, of what the crowd was giving her when she, you know, was doing her antics that uh, they actually built 
a, a studio to have you know an audience inside and, and watch her she uh, that's, there's so much more like I don't want to give away too much because I think each reveal is so much fun but I mean you can look it up and read about it but she she pioneered through so much that she was the first you know woman president uh, of a of a company of a production company you know what we know Paramount to be used to be the the um Desi Luna pictures like it used to be that was Paramount um, yeah she's one of the producers of the first Star Trek series that's right yeah it was because of, she said that she backed her crew and her team she wanted Star Trek to become a series and it did and uh, Mission Impossible was another one as well uh, I mean you learned so much you had no idea what she what she was capable of um and to be one of the first women to ever do it. It's just spectacular. Plus, she's so freaking lovable and likable and, and funny that it's hard not <laughs> to enjoy her. Yeah. Uh, so what about the other one that you saw? Oh, the first film. Yeah, the first film is a documentary that is about the making of the first film. Um, we know it to be, you know, uh, kind of like Benjamin Franklin era, um, and, you know, Thomas Edison and stuff like that. But this is actually a documentary about Louis Le Prince uh, from Leeds. And he was one of the first people to mess around with, you know, multiple lenses and, and multiple uh, frames per second and created a 16 uh, frame per second video camera that was not a camera back then but uh you know and was had one of the first ever films and it was like three seconds of four people just walking around um and uh it it was before you know what we know as like the train or what uh was known from like i said what benjamin franklin what thomas edison were coming around with uh, messing around with um, but this is about a guy named David Nicholas Wilkinson who was just consumed in this thought that this was the first ever you know movie so he went to Leeds and he talks to all the historians um, traces it all the way back to 1888 um, and finds out that Le Prince you know had experiments that beat both Edison and the Lumiere brothers um, by months actually uh, he traces it, you know, from the history books and with all these historians out there in Leeds. And it turns out that, in fact, well, he asked them at the end of the movie, he goes, do you think that I have, in fact, 100%, you know, given you all the information to prove that this is the, you know, the right movie or the first movie ever? I'm not going to spoil it, but, um, you know, I love this movie to learn more about the first movie ever made or if it was or not, uh, but just the history behind it. And also the passion that David Nicholas Wilkinson had to find out if this really was true or not. I mean, you have to really love something to go this far and dive this deep into something, especially on your own. Uh, and he worked on it for years. And there was also like scares uh, of other people finding um uh, proof that there was a film before the Lumiere brothers uh, and really scared him and, and all of his work that he was dealing with because it was like uh, it ended up being months after his date of October 1888 but uh, 
Uh, no, this is really interesting. I'm glad that I got to watch this because I am a huge movie fan and love movies and uh, whatever I you know like, can learn about them. I like to learn about them and you get to learn uh, a lot about you know what they were doing in 1888 to create moving pictures. Oh. So all good watches for you with uh, all these documentaries, right? Yeah. Actually, everything that I've seen from DocuFest has has been killer but i i also got to choose you know so yeah. i think i just chose right like if somebody was like go watch these three then i'm sure but i i chose specifically because i'm sure you know i knew i would like them okay well that's that's really great i mean uh this is probably the first time kelly kitchens is gonna hear from you too so the fact that you guys saw uh, well okay never mind cody didn't <laughs> But Justin here, Justin uh, enjoyed DocuFest, so there is that. Yeah, well, I also didn't see that movie, and <laughs> it does sound really creepy. Um, and uh, is it part musical, the movie you guys saw? No, no. No, it's just about these, mus- some of the people in the documentary no. are musicians. Okay, okay. Yeah, you, you you only get like one scene where they start singing, but that that's pretty much it. The music doesn't play any big factor. Yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, if there was musical numbers, would you watch it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. But I was just reading on here. It says that Texas Trip: A Carnival of Ghosts is a musical horror documentary. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. So I was like, what? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, uh, that would it would it would be the most messed up musical documentary. I'll, I'll definitely say that. And we'll live to that. Uh, out of out of the five or four, I guess the most impressive was the the plight. The oh the yeah 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 because you know it, it's entertaining and uh, yeah. but out of the documentaries, I you know again it's so hard not to love Lucy. Yeah. Unless yeah. you guys, do you love Lucy Cody? Uh, I enjoy Lucy Ball in the show. I mean, I wouldn't put it as my favorite, you know, sitcom of all time, but you have to respect what a groundbreaking show that was and what she was for the industry. So, you know, it sounds interesting. I would probably enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I even influenced, uh, what what's the the new Marvel show coming out in December? Oh, WandaVision. Yeah, there's a episode where they're doing like a 50 style sitcom. Yeah, it kind yeah, of looks uh, like I love Lucy. Yeah. Well, Grace from Will and Grace looks just like her. I mean, just um, there was times where you know my girlfriend and I were like, "Is that her? <laughs> it looks just like the Deborah McCormick. Is that her name? No, Ma- Messing. Deborah Messing. Oh, Deborah Messing. Yeah. Yeah. It was Deborah something. No, yeah, you helped me because I couldn't think of her name. Um, But uh, yeah, they she looked and I and on in the documentary you actually see that they did a couple of episodes in in homage of of, I love Lucy. Yeah. Anyway. So now that leads us to our last two films that are not documentaries, but the first one I will go for is. Red Shoes and the Seven Dwarfs. This is an interesting thing. I've had a long history with this movie. 
Because I yeah, saw well, it. Was... What? Yeah, please do tell, because I had not heard of this film till you talked about it last week. Nor, nor have I. Well, okay, it was something I stumbled upon back in, I think, 2016 or 2015 when they had the teaser out. And that's before they had English dub. It was just the Chinese, because this is a Chinese animated film. Uh, originally from China, directed by Chinese directors. Uh, and it was a teaser where you had a dwarf coming up to uh, a lady moaning in bed with her shoes dangling from her uh, from her uh, uh, from the bed. Uh, yeah, she's going mm, 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 like she's rolling around in her bed with her sho- shoes wiggling, and the dwarf is like, "Oh!" and tries to take off the. No, this happened. This is real. I can't if I can find where the teaser is. I think reference the teaser in, in this movie a little bit. And the reason is because this guy goes through so many things to try to pull off the shoe. Uh, through throwing rocks, through using a chainsaw. And then there was just some way where it the, the shoe finally came off. That's where we get the twist about this that became a controversy. And the controversy is what if Snow White weren't always as beautiful? And what if the dwarves weren't always so short? And that offended so many people because of the whole image towards plus size girls. Because oh. the, 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 the advertisement was, hey, if they got, if they got a little chunk on them, then they're kind of ugly. They're kind of hideous. But if they're nice and thin, then hey, that's that, that's uh, what beauty is, and that's what happens with this uh, with this Snow White, this version of Snow White we got. She finds these magical pair of shoes where she wears them, she loses all of the weight that she's got on her. And yeah, well, her stepmother her stepmother wears them to look younger. Yeah. So the stepmother wears them to look younger, and meanwhile, Snow White uh, wears them to look thinner. And <laughs> and then when she finds she finds out about her evil stepmother's plans, and she runs away with these shoes, eventually finding herself in the hands of the seven dwarves, who were originally these uh, popular uh, action heroes. Who are all uh, tall, who are all muscular, and after doing something stupid by zapping a fairy they thought was an evil goblin, uh, the fairy retaliates like, oh no, you don't do this to me, and turns them all into dwarves, uh, short and green. So this is uh, from what the advertisement uh, came to be. It was to them, to them, to people offended by this film. It was an offense to plus size girls and also dwarves, uh, dwarfism. So, there's so many, there's so right now, there's so much bigger fish to fry that they did. They put this out at the right time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, so they, they were like, okay, now we can finally release this movie because they did. This was gonna come out in 2017. And they cut the, they, they pretty much pulled it out of uh, existence. So I was to believe this never came out in America. And then just out of nowhere, Red Shoes and the Seven Dwarves out on Amazon for five bucks. Okay. 
well, now that you saw it, is it worth all the controversy it got? Well, when, if I want to take the perspective of people who are plus size, and I could see a little bit what they're saying from the beginning, because the whole thing is that Snow White, she looked like an average girl just from being plus size. And when she put on those shoes, she's all thin. And now all of a sudden, everybody's attracted to her. Everybody wants to stalk her. Everybody wants to creep up on her. Everybody. Everybody. Everybody just gets hypnotized by her looks just because she is thin. In in that regard, I can see what plus size women are mad about because the film does make it a little too point blank that, hey, if you're plus size and you're not that attractive. But if you're nice and thin and got hair all over, uh, just blowing over around, then, wow, you're the prettiest thing on the planet. And that, that's kind of a wrong message. I'll, I'll say that, that that is a little cruddy of the film to do that. But honestly, the dialogue is way too corny and aimed at little, little kids for this to be the biggest thing to be uh, upset about it's not like the idea behind it is upsetting it's basically someone ripping off shrek and ripping off tangled the tangled part yeah, comes with and snow white and wizard of oz and well, like okay, there's... They, it's a fairy tale story and the main character is yeah, snow white so I, yeah. yeah i can't say it's a rip off of snow white because well it is she is snow white but I'm talking about yeah. movies uh, that are kind of in the fairy tale world that this does rip off. Uh, I mean, Tangled, for example, stepmother, she is a bootlegged version of that grandma, or not that grandma, that, that stepmother. <laughs> and, uh, They're uh, identical. They're, they must be sisters. <laughs> yeah, they were so identical. I was like, holy crud, did they rip? Did they owe Disney some uh, royalties? Is that another reason why they pulled the plug on this originally? Because I'm like, holy crud, she looks and sounds exactly like the villain in Tangled. And has the same exact plot and backstory. The fact of the thing of trying not to age. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and her sidekick character is Patrick Warburton as a uh, a mirror mirror. I, I like Patrick Warburton in this. He is kind of funny. He's because he's in every single animated movie. He's always a voice in a movie. Well, but the lines they give him that that they are kind of some of the better lines in the film. Like yeah. he's basically this mirror who doesn't give a crud. Where the, the old mirror mirror would be like, "I am the mirror. I will tell you who is the bravest person of them all." No, this mirror is like, "Yeah, I would do that, but I don't really care. I'm too lazy, and I, I just got uh, hit it on by this another tree right there, and I'm thinking about making out with that uh, mirror." I don't want to talk to you. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's still relatively kid stuff. There's a lot of little kid jokes here, a lot of uh, wackiness. The other thing is the the villain originally. So you got the main villain, the stepmother, but then there is someone who's trying to be this prince charming character who is super flamboyant. In fact, if someone were to say that this person, if if the filmmakers of this movie were to come out and say this person is gay i would be like well i mean that's kind of a lazy way to go by it but all right 
Because he goes through the whole movie going, oh my God, like seriously, like, oh, oh my G, my armor, does it look, my armor look good? I'm like, yeah. So that's kind of like funny because it's opposite of what like a knight would do, you know? Yeah, but it is a little too on the nose. It, I mean, it, it does get repetitive. For, it, it, for the, I mean, for the most part, he is a guy you do want to see his bucket kick because he is annoying. Uh, so, <laughs> But yeah, and then you got the seven dwarves, which Merlin is the leader of them all, and he's got his catchphrase, you just got Merlin. He says that like a thousand times. Uh, <laughs> and they go through all these like different set pieces throughout this journey to find out where Snow White's dad is, because that's why Snow White goes on this uh tale or tale that she's going upon. And, you know, there are some times they spend with the little dwarves uh, and then it turns out, oh, wait, maybe is maybe there is something between them that doesn't involve being in these forms that they are cursed upon being in. And whether there's interesting ideas that get brought up this movie, it prevents us from being terrible. Because I'll say this, Red Shoes and The Seven Dwarves isn't a terrible film. It's entertaining in parts. There are some funny dialogue now and then. or There is some funny dialogue now and then. But it is swept up in so many kid movie cliches that the great things about it or the things that work about it, they kind of get drenched out. And not the last act, it turns into your you know your typical save the day type thing. And there's even this moment of, oh, is this person gone? Oh, well, no, they're they're all right. Things you've seen in kids' movies a lot. Uh and yeah, the, the action is fine. It's not bad. I'll i definitely say that. The when you they fight off against uh, the mirror. I actually kind of like that scene. There, there are some things I was like, okay, this can be, this is entertaining on a basic level. It's not anything great or not anything that I will think about in weeks uh, to come. But the fact that it doesn't go above and beyond and that, yeah, it, it is a little bit offensive to uh, plus size girls. I, uh, I I give it just a, a regular decent. What about you, Justin? Yeah, I'd, I'd say regular decent as well. I mean, it was entertaining. I you know I thought the animation actually was you know kind of good. Um, <clears throat> nothing we you know we definitely have seen better, and uh, I think we're just spoiled with Pixar and whatnot. But uh, well, it's uh, even just Pixar, like. Even uh, DreamWorks has occasionally come up with a really great uh, animated film. I mean, the How to Train Your Dragon trilogy as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, but um, no, this wasn't bad. I yeah. it's like Hoodwink. It's like Hoodwink. You get all the no. Years. This is better than Hoodwink. Hoodwink is well, a, I'll, I'll just the okay. just the theme of it because it is. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. use different, you know, stories from all over the the fairy tale land and put it all together. Yeah. One same Shrek, Shrek's the same way, and it it just has all of it. It even has Shrek in it, so it's it's just got it all and stuff. We've you know 
seen before. It, it is interesting to see the difference, you know, when she puts on shoes, she becomes thin. They have this, we, we get to see him out of his dwarfism a lot throughout the movie. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, that was. But we never get to see each other in their true light. And I thought that was, you know, fun to keep that going back and forth. Because then, as we want to know their reaction as well, does is she going to accept him or is she falling for the dwarf? And then, does he just really like her because she's this pretty, or does he like her for how she is deep down inside? Uh, there is messages still there. It's like I do see what they were saying that this shouldn't be. I, it shouldn't have been pushed. It should have just come out. I I know that it why it was pushed now, but um, there's still a good message in there. It's like shallow how you know. You fall in love for the person that's deep inside, not for what's on the outside. Yeah, no, I, I get that. But it's it's maybe the way it was advertised and uh, the message behind that, hey, you know what? You are super pretty if you're thin, but if you got weight on you, then yeah. Because uh, once she has the shoes off and she goes back to regular, regu- regular, or, uh, regular form, the doors don't even recognize her. Really? Yeah, she's wearing the same dress. <laughs> the same dress, the same hair, the same voice yeah. and everything. And they're like, hey, do you know where Red Shoes went? Okay, see ya. Yeah, I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, things like that. I'm like, okay, that, really? Chloe Grace Moretz is Snow White. Uh, Sam Clayton yeah. is Merlin. We also, yeah, Gina Gershon's Regina and Patrick Wardenburton is in there as well. So we do have some voices we've heard before. Uh, and, and yeah. Mike, I love Chloe, I love Sam, I love Gina. So, uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. It was definitely a, a, a decent movie. I also have to say the other thing that got me with it is that not only if you have a little weight on you, that apparently you're not that attractive, but also you got superpowers. Oh, yeah. She, she has strong. like superhuman <laughs> strength where she can lift a 500 pound boulder. When she's yeah. got weight on her, I'm like, oh, okay, stop this. Like, <laughs> I see exactly what the plus woman, plus size woman are saying. This, this, this is a little. Yeah, that oh, was yeah. strange. All of a sudden, she got like powers, but you, you know, she, she. They're also saying that you're you're as strong as you are. You know, who you are is is strong enough. Well, you don't have to do that literally. Like that's. Not, I know. <laughs> yeah, I, I I can't defend that. I'm sorry. No, I know. I it was that was, I did audibly bring that up. Like, oh, now she's got superhuman strength. Well, even when she was, that's what doesn't get me is she showed she had superhuman strength when she was thin as well because she pulled out Excalibur earlier I, while she was thin. But then all of a yeah. sudden, like she lost her superhuman strength unless she took her shoes off. Yeah. So yeah, there's. Yeah, but I mean it's it's okay. Uh, we have but, yeah. I have seen worse, especially Chinese animated films. Animal Crackers is so much worse, although it is so much more fun in that regard. Yeah, <laughs> that leads us to our last one, which is uh, Happy Hubie Halloween: The Return of Adam Sandler as in the in the uh, Happy Madison of films. Is this the film he threatened to make if he didn't get an Oscar nomination? You know what? I don't think so because I feel like this movie was already in production before uh, their uh, Uncut Gems. I I think he hasn't done a Halloween movie yet, so it was just time for him to do one. 
Well, the, the, the world was asking for it, huh? <laughs> well, he he has fans. I mean, he makes a lot of money off of these uh, these Happy Madison films, so you can't say he done a contract with Netflix, so he had to make you know X amount of movies, and this was this was one of them. Yeah, the one Happy Madison movie that bombed uh, was Pixels. Is that what ended up causing him to do the Netflix deal? Yeah, no, that did. Actually, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that, that, I think that's because he tried to have so much money in addition to doing his usually M. Sandler stick. And that's what uh, did not work out for him. In this, he plays a character named Hubie, who, I mean, they don't outright say it, but they, make it to where he is a, a special needs adult living with his mom so make the autism jokes if you want i don't care and, and hubie he is picked on a lot by the people around salem this takes place in a halloween themed town and he's picked on pretty much unrealistically like people throw him into uh, tombstone or graves they throw sharp things at him or uh, w- one tries to run him over. I'm like, okay, you don't need to do this. So he, he's had a rough. He's had a, a lot of bullies around the town. But one day he gets a new neighbor played by Steve Buscemi, who seems pretty suspicious. And it's led to this whole mystery behind some of these people who have gone missing. Could that be from Steve Buscemi's character? because uh, of things that are uh, not known about him that he finds out or could it be someone else what I want to say immediately is that yeah I'm admittedly not a fan of these Happy Madison films I've hated almost all of them whether or not Adam Sandler is in the, the movie it's still the Happy Madison still finds a way to sink a new low and regarding Adam Sandler himself, I have to say, uh, no, Cody's got that build up. All right, what are you going to say? I have to say is that this movie was not as bad as I thought it would be. And I think the first thing I can kind of commend is the mystery. Because it doesn't go to pl- to places I, I would expect it, at least in the way, like, how these sort of, like, monster movies are, where it's like, okay... Who is the killer or like a Scooby-Doo story? This is not as predictable. They do throw some curveballs here. And even when you think you know who the culprit is behind all these missing people, they throw something very interesting about that person. And Steve Buscemi, he's great in this. He's really funny and kind of creepy with some of the things that come up about him. Or about him. Uh, occasionally, there is a clever joke going on here. But Adam Sandler, with his characters that he plays in all these movies, he ruins the good intentions they've got going on here with the whole theme about uh, anti-bullying. Because that is a big message in this film, is about uh, bullying and how that is wrong, which it is. But you don't feel for this guy as much because he is simply being Adam Sandler and all of his annoying performances he's made over these Happy Madison films where he always like, and then he's got to scream a lot. He's got to yell for my life. 
oh my god and then he's got trip over bunk his head in the things you know do the sort of adam sandler slapstick comedy and oh, oh my gosh they got that in this here too and it makes me not feel for this guy as much as i don't side with the bullies as well uh, as well because they take it a little too far like there's probably one guy kevin james who plays the town sheriff he's the one guy you can kind of see why he doesn't like or he's just kind of annoyed with uh hubie with the rest of the guys who bully hubie no they kind of take it a little too far they're like man hubie is so annoying he's so stupid so i'm gonna teach him a lesson i'm like well that doesn't wager trying to run him over with a car or throwing him down in a grave like they go to two extremes to where you just don't side with other people the one thing that try, the film tries to keep things going to a positive end is the relationship between Hubie and, the, you know, the Adam Sandler film's uh, lead female Veronica, Veronica Valentine or something? Yeah, who, who plays the character going like, man, uh, Hubie, he is such a great guy. Why are you guys, why are you all people, all you people are jerks to hubie he doesn't deserve any of this and it just feels like a big ego stretch for adam sandler to where he's looked at as the nicest guy in the movie and the guy the good guy to save the day and everything and it just feels like okay we're in typical adam sandler land now Uh, i mean count how many films where it's about adam sandler being the funniest or nicest character in the film and he's got that one uh female character to rely on to eventually date and have sex with mary all that stuff and yeah there's there's plenty of that i think what pulls me back then though is occasionally when it does something that is fun even with adam sandler's character there are a few moments where he is not that annoying and he does pull out in his genuine genuine sweetness one where he's saving uh, a few kids in a cornfield. Like, I, I like that part. And uh, the way he tries to put the mystery together on, by himself at the end of the film, there is some interesting things going on there. But it is still drenched in in uh, uh, happy mass and BS. Like, there are plenty of these jokes that just go off on repetition there is this whole running gag uh the series of running gags uh, one of them is about this guy or this black guy trying to get with his white woman and how this white woman's always dre- uh, uh, or uh rejecting him and i'm like okay why is that the case besides him being a jerk but they're both jerks so it'd be like okay well then what what's the whole deal no that's just the joke is uh, every time he's like hey you want maybe we could go out for a date and she's like, yeah, shut it. It's never going to happen. I'm like, well, why are you in the car with them? Why are you spending time with them? You keep telling them, yeah, we're never going out. We're never going to be boyfriend, girlfriend. I'm like, are you, talk- are you talking about Tim Meadows? I-, I think. No, they're married. Well, but he-, he keeps on treating him like he's this guy. Like he's this, this, or she keeps on treating him like he's this guy she never wants to be with. <laughs> yeah well that was the joke part was that they're always together and they're married but she doesn't want to be around them well, why are they married that's 
Well, that's the that's what the joke is. Is marriage? Is, well, you shouldn't be married. It's not you don't a joke. You have to still ask questions. Like that, that's well, that's one of the things why some like the the or at Happy Madison's way of comedy just doesn't work for me. Is that <laughs> it comes up with a joke and it's like, hey, this is the joke right here. I'm like, okay, well then why this and that? Well, I don't know. It's it's funny. I'm like, no. You, you're kind of leaving some big blanks right in front of my face and I can't ignore them. So that's in that way. I can't laugh. There was yeah. even jokes that they set up to kind of be funny. Like there was an appearance by Shaq. And, and for a second, I'm like, Oh wow. The, what they do with them is funny. And then it's followed up by his, his, uh, uh, the significant other being a transgender, which that's the joke is that it's a guy or no it's a it's a girl but with a guy uh uh sounding voice but it's a guy in a girl's dress i'm like okay that that's not really a joke but all right yeah it's uh it's it's a messy messy comedy that is occasionally funny and occasionally clever to the point where i'm still engaged even though I'm groaning every t- few times it does some BS thing that uh, Happy Madison films are usually for. But it's not as bad as those other films because of some of the great things that happen just spread throughout the hour and a half, even if it's not consistent. Which makes it just highly disappointing and thus giving it a low decent. Even if it's not, uh, I wouldn't. Even, I wouldn't put it in a void because of the times I did laugh and things about it I did like. I even thought Kevin James was all right in the film, like when he when he had going on. I, I I did enjoy him in it. Yeah, it's not as bad as some of the other Happy Madison films, but it's also not something you got to go out and see. And, and I think partially what puts me keeps me at that low decent is the credits. Where at the end of the movie, when the movie's done, it wraps up with just a montage of Adam Sandler screaming at things. That is it. That that is the bloopers, the outtakes is just Adam Sandler in a montage of him screaming. And I'm like, okay, I gotta just skip this and just end it. Yeah, it's not good, but I've seen worse. Even from Happy Madison. Uh, So, yeah. Justin, uh, I can't wait to hear you praise about this. <laughs> oh no, no, no praise. Um, this is this is uh, a you know a regular decent for me. I mean, it's just like the red shoes and the seven dwarfs. It's stuff we've seen before. This is this is um, Waterboy, but also Ernest Scared Stupid. You know, without yeah. without the paranormal stuff. I mean, it's Ernest, Ernest Scared Stupid. Scared stupid. Yeah, we've seen this, you know, it is, it's him saving Halloween for, for whatever reason, right? And Adam Sandler is, is earnest in this movie. Um, I definitely enjoyed the last Happy Madison movie that was on Netflix over this one, but uh, uh, I, yeah. it's still fun. <laughs> well, I know you did. <laughs> uh, it's, it's still fun. I mean, it's, it's perfect for Halloween. It, it is a family movie. Uh, you know, we have yeah. the heavy in here. Uh, Kevin James, like you said, Steve Buscemi, Rob Schneider's in it. Tim Meadows, um, also Keenan Thompson, June Squibb, Michael Chiklis, Ray Liotta. Uh, Julie Bowen is the love interest. She was in, uh, you know, Happy Gilmore. 
Um, well, it's good to know his love interest is age appropriate for him. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. But but to me, she was one of my biggest issues, uh, Julie Bowen, because um, you know we've seen her on Modern Family for so long, and even in Happy Gilmore, <laughs> where she, she's badass more, she's stronger. Here, she's so soft. Like it's fine that she's a, a, a person who doesn't have uh, kids. She adopts, which is great. That's a good human thing to have about yourself. Uh, but that's what apparently makes her notice that how good of a human being that Hubie is and um, she's like the only one who can see it which is super strange uh, but uh, yeah I mean he's he's a cop he's a rent this is you know this is Paul Bart mall cop but for a Halloween story uh, I, and- yeah, I don't know about that but <laughs> it's not that bad no you, you this is you thought Paul Bart mall cop is worse than this yeah, yeah, definitely. No way. Yeah. Yes. Ubi Halloween is tropey. It's it's campy. It's stuff that we've seen. It actually had a huge issue with Adam Sandler's voice that he was doing. Well, yeah. Um, Adam, regarding Adam Sandler, according, I mean, he's doing that just wacky accent he does in all his movies, and I'm like, all right, just stop, like. I loved what you did in Uncut Gems, and you just went back to doing this. I'm like, all right, yeah, uh, yeah, um, yeah. I I think for the time for Halloween season, it was fun. It's yeah, it, it's it's fine. It's, it, I laughed a few times, and I like seeing all the all the familiar faces. And you know, he he's done another. He did it again. If he's doing an Adam Sandler movie, well, then he did it again. Yeah, it was number one on Netflix. I mean, a lot of people watched it. Uh, good for him. Then, uh, I mean, I'll even say this as another plus that this has is there's no offensive stereotypes besides the what I talked about with the transgender character. But uh, with Rob Snyder, I was expecting him to make like Asian jokes or uh, you know there'd be a, a racist Mexican stereotype or Indian uh, or uh, black stereotype. And they don't have any of that, which mm-hmm. I think is a huge plus uh, when you take into account the other Happy Madison films. So there is that too. But in another minus, which uh, you brought up like uh, Hubie uh, talking about Halloween, that is something that just dawned on me is that Hubie talks about how he loves Halloween so much, but he is scared at everything Halloween related. Yeah. <laughs> everything scares even his own even his own halloween decorations that he sets up he turns around to them screams and destroys them 500 times with that thing screaming at him and he still gets scared 500 times i'm like if this is your favorite halloween then why do you act like you're about to have a heart attack from it i'm like yeah anyway that is what we have on the show uh, and of course next time talking about on the rocks and uh chicago seven and i'll talk about dogs and cats three hit cats and dogs three now the other thing is it will be at 3 p.m because i have to work on no oh, actually i think that's thursday yeah because friday is closed because i i work from like uh 11 to uh 2 15 so yeah i think i will be able to do friday at like 2 p.m or so but anyway uh and i will actually end this off on 
doing our little bonus that we record right after we're done with this. Uh, as I was talking about last week, we're going to do that now. But first off, uh, where do people find you guys? Cody? I, I, oh, okay. you, Go ahead, Cody. you can find me on Facebook at Cody's Film Page, and you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at FilmNerd85. And Justin? I am at uh, Worthy View Movies on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube and Worthy View Movie on Twitter. Okay, and this will be uploaded on uh, several platforms under Pondsquest Podcasts, Linktree uh, slash Pondsquest. And of course, uh, Extra Life, November 7th through the 8th, 8 a.m. to 8 a.m. Be there, be square, 24-hour marathon of good uh, goodness happening on zoom streamed on twitch and you can find that out more on facebook.com slash punchbus or eventbrite.com slash punchbus until next time take care